On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Time to have a look at what's making the uh, page, the front pages of today's papers. Um, there is obviously a common theme. There's lots of, in fact, photographs of the newly minted Prince and Princess of Wales alongside the Duke and Duchess of Sussex who were um, seemed to have a brief moment of reunity yesterday as they were uh, meeting people at Windsor Castle uh, following the death of their grandmother, Queen Elizabeth. Uh, the front page of the Sunday Times tells us that the leaders of the Kinahan cartel have fled their homes in Dubai and are now moving between the United Arab Emirates, Qatar and Jordan. Some have attempted to travel to Asia under assumed names as the international manhunt to bring them to justice intensifies. This obviously follows uh, a reward being offered by US authorities offering up to 5 million US dollars for information that could lead to the uh, apprehension of uh, Daniel Joseph Kinahan, uh, his father Chris and his, uh, his father Christy and his brother Christopher Jr. Uh, we also learn on the front of the Sunday Times that satisfaction with the government has dropped three points in the latest Behaviour and Attitudes Sunday Times poll as the cost of living crisis begins to make itself felt. But there is better news for Fianna Fáil, which rises three points to 24% in their poll, despite uh, the Robert Troy controversy. However, they are still far adrift of Sinn Féin. Mary Lou MacDonald's party on 35% in that poll. We also learned that some small firms are in line for a range of grants and loans in the budget to help with the soaring cost of energy. Officials and ministers, including Pascal Donoghue and Leo Varadkar, will offer financial support for viable but vulnerable businesses struggling to survive due to high energy bills. I suspect it will be discerning what is viable and what is vulnerable. It uh, could be a bit of an issue. Uh, that's the front page of the Sunday Times. The Business Post tells us that Stephen Donnelly is scrambling to fill what could be a €2 billion Euro hole in the health budget to avoid a substantial bailout being required before the end of the year. Michael McGrath has seemingly written to the Minister for Health warning that the condition of the health budget was a matter of great concern and one which was not accepted by his department. Letters between the two Fianna Fáil ministers have been obtained by the Business Post under Freedom of Information. They show frustration and confusion from McGrath at Donnelly's management of spending in his department. We're also told, speaking of health matters, that Paul Reid had cited frustrations with feeling constrained in the HSE's ability to deliver changes to patient quality and outcomes in his resignation letter to the HSE board. Again, that has also been released under FOI. Uh, Reid tells Kieran Devan, the chair of the HSE, that the primary right drivers of his resignation were wanting to spend more time with his family and the right time for a change in leadership post-pandemic. But he also expresses frustrations over limitations that he felt were being put on the HSE's ability to drive improvements in the health service. His resignation came at a tumultuous time when Stephen Donnelly intervened in the well-advanced plans to close the emergency department at Navan Hospital due to safety concerns. Paul Reid said that it, the aforementioned two reasons were his primary driver, but that he wanted to drive patient quality and outcomes and there had been well-known frustrations arising from feeling constrained in that agenda. That's the Business Post. Front page of the Sunday Independent tells us that households are in line for three uh, energy discounts of €200 Euro or more in their b- bills between now and next spring under proposals being considered by the government. Three electricity credit payments totalling €600 Euro or more to every household in the country could form part of the measures to address the cost of living crisis. It would mean each bi-monthly electricity bill being reduced by at least €200. Euro, one credit applied to biz- bills before Christmas and two on bills next year. Those proposals are being strongly backed by Fianna Fáil ministers. Uh, the Irish Sunday Mirror has a similar story. Fergal Blaney tells us that households are set to claw back billions from energy firms' profits through huge windfall taxes. Eamon Ryan says Ireland has been given the green light by the EU to levy companies uh, making a mint from our pain. Uh, and finally for now, the Irish Mail on Sunday. Uh, former Minister Barry Cowan, who you may remember was sacked, uh, wasn't forced to resign, but rather sacked by Micheál Martin um, in the summer of 2020 over um, conflicting reports about what exactly had happened during a traffic stop uh, involving Barry Cowan previously. 
Um, the Mail on Sunday tells us this morning that former Minister Barry Cowan did not make a U-turn or attempt to evade a Garda checkpoint when he was stopped for drink driving, according to an inquiry by the Garda Ombudsman. Michal Martin had pressured the Leash Offaly TD to answer dull questions over claims that he had performed a U-turn from a checkpoint, but the Fianna Fáil TD had refused to do so because he wanted to await the outcome of a GSOC inquiry into the incident, and he was sacked for his refusal to take those questions. The Irish Mail on Sunday has now learned that the report, which is now complete, found Mr Cowan did not drive away from the checkpoint. Sources familiar with the GSOC inquiry said it found that Mr Cowan did not perform a U-turn or seek to evade, evade or avoid Gardaí at the checkpoint. The report also recommends that the officer who disseminated Cowan's information from the Garda Pulse IT system should face disciplinary action. Senior Fianna Fáil sources said this weekend that they believe the GSOC inquiry paves the way for Mr Cowan to return to government uh, which is something we will take up uh, with Sheena Cahill, Communications Manager at Goshka, the President's Award and with Gabby Gadavitskita, political reporter uh, with independent newspapers. Um, Gabby, it would, we were at an event earlier this week, actually you and I and a few other reporters, um, with Micheál Martin in Offaly where this question was asked of Barry Cowan, would you like to be considered for cabinet? And he said, I'm, I'm sure I will be. I'll be a member of the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party. And we were all wondering, but hang on, what's changed between the time that you were sacked and now? And, and I guess now we know it appears that he's been given a clean bill of health. Yeah, of course. So this all comes, you know, following Robert Troy's resignation. And of course, Derek Leary, who was uh, also a Minister for Agriculture, um, he resigned following the Golfgate scandal and the Taoiseach signalled early, earlier this year that there is a way back for Dara. But now the question begs to be asked, is there also a Back for ba- for a way back for Barry and and when Barry was asked or Deputy Cowan was asked that during the week he said look I'll be considered just like every other member of the parliamentary party will be um, I think it's funny the Taoiseach didn't bite on that question mm. well it's yeah. funny I think all he said was all members of the parliamentary party will be considered but he wasn't as blunt as to say there's a way back from which is what he did for Dara Cleary mm. um, earlier this year I think it's interesting because it really puts a certain question you know if you look at Michal Martin's tenure as Taoiseach you know he's had a sacked minister has had two ministers that have resigned and there seems to be sort of a way back for nearly all of them at this stage so the question begs to be asked when you of course we are going to have a cabinet reshuffle um, when that rotating Taoiseach deal takes place in December and like is there now a way back for Barry Cowan also and ultimately the Fianna Fáil thinking is on tomorrow and Tuesday in Mullingar it's mm. going to mean for a very interesting thinking and I suppose is this the time now for uh, Deputy Cowan to sort of maybe rally the troops a little bit and to say look I think maybe I was treated a little bit unfairly and you know what are you going to do to make up for that damage yeah that'll be a fascinating Fianna Fáil thinking mm. not least because it's taking place in Mullingar which means that Robert Troy as an <laughs> ostensible host will, will yeah. have to be sort of uh, front and centre but also uh, because I see in the Irish Mail on Sunday as well there are some complaints among Fianna Fáil TDs that not enough time has been scheduled to discuss the future of the party instead they're going to be hearing from Brian Cody the former Kilkelly Hurley manager uh, as a main speaker but apparently he's giving a speech and there won't be time for the party to debate its own uh, flagging performance in the polls. Um, a question that arises, Sheena Cahill, if Barry Cowan is to be returned to Cabinet, is mm. who would end up having to make way? Because if you have no. all this speculation about Dara Cleary being one of the six Fianna Fáil ministers and potentially then Barry Cowan also being one of the six, then you have to make vacancies in the number that's already there, don't yeah, you? Yeah, it's a bit like a turnstile now with them at the minute. You, do, you say your confession and then you're back in once you've said your prayers. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I think... Uh, it is It is interesting. I think that's a great question. I don't have the answer to it, but I think we'll all be watching. I mean, Michael Brennan uh, in the Business Post, uh, you know, talks about today about how he, he doesn't actually expect a kind of major heave against Michal Martin that would have been looked at. I mean, pre-summer, definitely. I mean, think that, that I think that's the way we were all thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but now the boys are back uh, and uh, 
Cowan's back in the fold. It'll be interesting to see what uh, uh, what is stirred in the next few weeks and um, at, I'm sure, the bar in Mullingar over the next couple of days too, <laughs> um, where, you know, frank words, I'm sure, will be said uh, between uh, Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party colleagues. But yeah, we're looking at, what, four months left in Micheál Martin's tenure before the turn uh, goes to him to be Tánaiste. Mm. Um, so is there time to move him on, move him out, uh, you know, it, within that period or will he gracefully move towards the, the Tánaiste position? Um, look at, you know, the, the, the move for, for Dara Kaliri back into the ranks um, surprised me, actually, because... I, I thought the timing was weird. I was like, why are you doing this, uh, you know, when we're all watching, uh, you know, when we, you know, when we could have done a well, so cabinet you, you, reshuffle. You think you could, have, you could have brought him back in during a cabinet reshuffle oh, yeah. and it wouldn't have drawn the, attention yeah, to this Yeah, but now we have this conversation about, you know, and, and it does feel like people get are getting away with things or come, mm-hmm. at least coming back and finding avenues back in where we thought maybe they had a little bit more confession it's to It's like do. a redemption story, isn't yeah, it? For, it is. for all the ministers. <laughs> you yeah. go off and you do something wrong, you get sacked or, or you resign and then there's a redemption arc for you and I think it's interesting what you're saying like you know okay maybe there's not a huge big upheaval um, this in the coming next two days but I think Fianna Fáil and I've said this before but like they're in the same position that they were last year where some within the party they do want change maybe they do think that there's a new leader that should be put in place but nobody's really willing to do anything about it apart from you know, talk to political correspondents mm. off the record, and yeah, because like, at least this time last really year, enough. when Mark McSharry was still a Fianna Fáil TD, there mm. was always maybe somebody in the room who was agitating, who would mm. maybe have these things brought to the boil. But yeah. now, with him absent from the room, there doesn't seem to be usually the same. Yeah, and people are happy. Like you know, like even even from speaking to you know members of the parliamentary party myself, you know, there are people that are unhappy and they do think that there there needs to be something needs to happen, but they don't really know what it is. They're not very clear still on the identity of the party. Is it the change of of leader, or is it that they have to actually nail down some like stronger policies and a position Mm. on things that where where if you're looking at the the Red Sea poll and the the poll in the Sunday Times, you're getting the I know Fine Gael is down, but ultimately Mm. we're looking at the two parties together a lot of the time mm-hmm. and until you identify yourself as being very different to Fine Gael, uh, then you're not really going really far very quickly. Yeah, I think the, the issue with uh, one of those polls I think the Red Sea one in particular uh, Micheál Martin will always tell you that those online polls Fianna Fáil never does as well with them even though Red Sea I'm sure will be more than happy to stand over their, hmm. their methodology um, but if it is a case that Fine Gael were at 17% and Fianna Fáil were at 18 or vice mm. versa you'd have those parties competing against each other for the final seat in a lot of constituencies which means that as a partnership if they were to stay together after the next general election I'm sure they'd be in a bit of trouble uh, we will talk to Jack Chambers about uh, the Fianna Fáil thinking and whether there is enough time being devoted to um, the party looking at itself but I suppose Gabby if you just read this piece uh, in the Mail on Sunday Jack Chambers has sent around the schedule to Fianna Fáil members and he says mm. uh, what will be discussed on Tuesday is preparations for the budget with Michael McGrath and an update on gambling regulation and reforms you could probably argue fairly legitimately that if the budget is on in two weeks and these TDs are all going to have to go to bat in the media on this station and, and plenty others in the next month to defend what's in the budget. That It probably makes more sense to give them a good briefing on what the government is going to do rather than having a, a navel gaze about where the party's going. Yeah, of course. I, th- I think, I suppose some of the rebels would have been very happy to sit around and, and, and talk for about two hours about how, what needs to happen next and if who's the who leader should be. Look, like I think the lineup for... <laughs> 
<laughs> the thinking. I mean, I think it's funny that you have, you know, sports star coming in, Brian Cody coming in and, and, and talking to the Fianna Fallers. But look, you I have think to rally them. You have to rally them. It's like half time they're losing. You need Cody in. <laughs> Come need, on now. You need to do like, a, on, like a group it. hug. Um, I think it's going to be Brian a Cody very... will be advocating <laughs> group hugs. <laughs> I think it's going to be a very interesting two days. And I think especially with, um, you know, the Barry Khan revelations today in the Mail on Sunday, it just it does seem to be that there's a redemption arc for everybody and again like I think I think in fairness to honestly of Radker you know okay the, the poll really this weekend in the business post is really quite dire I mean mm-hmm. it's putting them at mm-hmm. you know lowest ever I think since the yeah. polls began in 2005 yeah so which is really is it 17% in today's one so which 17% is actually, it's, it's yeah. the third poll in a row in which Fine Gael has been at historic lows they keep going one point down each time so every month again it's another record low uh, and nothing mm-hmm. being done to arrest it but I think in fairness to the Tanishta like he is coming out and he's carving out exactly what Fine Gael stands for he's saying we're not going to go into government with Sinn Féin um, you know this is you know we're looking to help small businesses like it's very clear what Fine Gael stands for and that they're not Sinn Féin and they've carved out a space for themselves but Fianna Fáil I think you don't know are they one or the other would they go into a government with Sinn Féin I'm sure they'd, they I'd love, I'm sure they'd love that tagline um, we're not Sinn Féin that's, that's what we are <laughs> <laughs> That actually has it's what it's become. Pull out a bingo card because then we're talking to Jack Chambers a little bit after yeah. 12 o'clock. You might hear something along those lines. Or in shoes only. We, we, we should <laughs> move on to um, to the speculation about the budget, but just yeah. just on that point about how, how relatively easier it is for, for Fine Gael to sort of carve out an identity. Is that just the price you pay, um, Gabby, for, for when, when you are the party that holds the office of Taoiseach, that you can't sort of go off and, and be solo and have an identity separate to government? Like Leo Varadkar in the last couple of years has talked about, oh, you know, we should be building. 40,000 new homes a year whereas mm. the, the national policy is only for, for somewhere in the mid-30s and it's fine for you to say that or he wants the 30% tax rate that's a Fine Gael policy but it's not government policy Micheál Martin up till now hasn't had the same licence to sort of go rogue or announce what a policy is because people will go oh that's government policy mm. and maybe actually when he gives over the job in December then it's easier for him to say something and for it to be what Fianna Fáil thinks but not what the government thinks. I think Fianna Gael have been making massive promises these past couple of months. I did an interview with Tanishta um, in the Irish Independent at the start of June and, and that was really the, the start of all the big promises. You know, it was childcare cuts and this new income tax rate and we'll put more money back you into that squeeze You were going that out squeeze squeeze that interview with bags of cash. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were all loaded yeah. after yeah. it. Gary like, was putting down the deposit. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, and it's in his favour to do that but mm. like ultimately these things have to start translating somewhere and I think if people look at Fine Gael's record they've been in government for you know how many years we're not really are we really better off not really I mean just before we came on air we're talking about emigration parties being back and young people yeah. mm. leaving the country so I think some cohorts decided they are a little bit tired like it's great to hear those promises for Fine Gael but I think after so many years in government surely we should be maybe in a little bit of a better place than we are yeah. now uh, a couple of texts and tweets are still coming in about the Count Corla's idea of having a second dull chamber to work in parallel to the first I think some people are presuming that it means a whole second set of TDs with a set of TDs salaries it, it's not that it's just that they would be speaking in two rooms at once. Uh, Eamon says, we don't need a second doll chamber, we need the current one to do a full working week and cut the holidays down from the ridiculous 15 weeks to four like every other job. And someone texts in simply saying, a second talking shop chamber, more seats for more talking, about more talking. What a joke. Which I suppose it depends on, on what value you attach to, to TDs doing their talking. Uh, there is an awful lot in the papers naturally about speculation about what's uh, coming up in the budget. Um, Sheena, I'll start with yourself. There's, there's bits across all the papers. Anything that jumps out for you today? Yeah, I mean, I suppose that you mentioned it at the top of the programme. I mean, it's that that really 
the, the fact is that the energy crisis is the new pandemic in terms of the talking point and what is actually directly impacting households uh, and people across Ireland. I mean, so looking at that, the government are apparently looking at in, in or around 600 plus euro in energy credits over the next six months. So that means there, I believe there'd be one uh, energy credit applied before Christmas and then two energy credits applied after mm. Christmas. And I suppose the idea behind that was there's no point giving something uh, to people before Christmas and then kind of leaving them high and dry when, it, when January comes around, which is often some of the toughest times yeah. for families uh, in the country. But um, I mean, obviously, the, the the two key things you need to do in a budget is, or at least, uh, you know, is it Brian Keegan in, of Chartered Accountants Ireland has a piece in the Sunday Business Post kind of saying, look, there's two imperatives for the budget. Uh, first is to look after citizens and businesses whose livelihoods are being crippled by energy costs and inflation. And number two, to ensure the exchequer continues to be able to provide help uh, to those people. Uh, and I suppose it is interesting, um, you know, to what extent uh, the, these 200 euro, uh, you know, supports uh, for on, on people's energy bills are going to actually be felt when you've got you know, Electric Ireland and others feeling like it's consi- they're mm. consistently bringing up the prices. So the Red yeah. Sea poll... It seems like it would cover less and less each time. Exactly. And, it's got, time you're like, and oh, if you tell them it's happening, they just seem like they're bill. increasing it. Yeah. You know, um, the Red Sea poll talks about the, the uh, you know, people being very in favour uh, by 79% of a windfall tax on energy companies. So that's basically looking at, and uh, it's in line with some EU policy uh, being looked at at the minute, uh, where you'd skim off the excess revenues from wind, nuclear and coal-fired plants uh, because they're actually benefiting from kind of record record prices determined by the cost of gas at the minute. So you kind of taking some of that profit and kind of putting back into consumers to help them pay for their the cost of their fuel. But ultimately, like, how did we get here? It's not just because of Ukraine. Obviously, that is like the key driver. But the reality is, you know, we've known for decades now that we were, you know, our, our own energy security was at major risk mm. and we have done very, very little about it. Um, Gabby, anything that jumps out for you in today's papers? Yeah, I think, uh, look, uh, very much the same as Sheena. I think that €600 Euro, um, in three instalments is, is really, I think that's that's really quite new. I think Tanish said again, single digit during the week that maybe we'll get more than one €200 Euro mm. energy credit, but now we're actually looking at three. three. Yeah. Um, if you read even more in the Sunday Times, she's also reporting that there will be supports for businesses in terms of three separate schemes announced at Budget Day, um, which would be a mix of low cost loans and, and, and grants and then also a third broader measure. So again, I think we've seen a lot of kite flying, we've seen very big promises, but like the key is now to actually deliver and I think obviously what's different with this budget is that we have that huge cost of living package that will Mm -hmm. be announced alongside um, the budget on budget day and I think really people need to feel it in their pocket um, ultimately and I think it would really bode quite well for the coalition to be you know going into that rotating Taoiseach deal to you know that changeover takes place between Michal Martin and Leo Radker and that if the country is maybe a little bit happier Mm. with um with the government as we go into the new year. Yeah, which is particularly striking, I think, because not alone is, is government satisfaction down in, across the two of the polls today. But I think there's two um, questions in the Red Sea poll that are especially striking. Uh, one of them asks people to, um, do you agree strongly, agree slightly or disagree with the statement, I am struggling to make ends meet mm-hmm. due to the rising cost of living? And 36% say agree strongly and 34% say agree slightly. So 70%, seven out of every 10 people say that they are struggling to ends, make ends meet right now due to the rising cost of living. And of course, there could still be perspective 
effectively more energy bill increases uh, coming on the way. Um, only 37% of people say that they are not struggling right now. Uh, and a bigger question, which I think is really a sign of why the government needs to feel like it's it's getting the job done. Uh, people were asked, I think the government is doing all it can to address the cost of living crisis. 7% agreed strongly. <laughs> uh, I want to meet those 7%. Yeah. In fact, text us in those 7%. 53106 at a cost of 30 it's cents. It's a beautiful thinking. <laughs> uh, 19% of people would agree slightly. And 69% of people say that they disagree with the statement that the government is doing all it can to address the cost of living. And if like two thirds of people probably think the government is not doing all it can, like it really does raise the stakes. And if people don't feel in two weeks time like there was a material benefit for them, then you're going to have an awful lot of unhappy people going through a really difficult winter. Yeah, and I was talking to uh, people for profit TD Paul Murphy during the week who is um, the party is a part of the Cost of Living Coalition and he's saying look on the 24th September we're going to have huge big massive rallies but he's also making the point that um, if we if the government does not act to help people um, you know he's sort of threatening that maybe we'll put in a camp a place a campaign of boycotting energy bills which you know it, it's a it's a very I suppose you have to tread carefully because if, of course if you don't pay your bills they'll build up and so on but you know like if people cannot pay their bills and they're looking at you know every month it's getting worse and worse and worse like we're only at the start of September now and you know we're seeing electricity prices are so high and like it will be essentially a winter of discontent um, and if we see the budget comes out and this cost of living package is announced but if you're seeing sections of society being left behind like for example the last budget didn't do very much for renters you mm. know, just as a, yeah. a broad yeah. example so if we're seeing those big sections of society being forgotten and left behind like you know, it's it's not really a good look, is and, it? And that two hundred euro, um, you know, obviously we're, we're, you know, we love hearing about what feels like money in the pocket, but mm. you're also looking at things like childcare costs and and as you say, household bills for renters and all of that. Uh, it's the the two hundred euro is just going to be a plaster on something that has been, you know gaping for a long time and I don't know how much we're going to feel that 200 euro I think mm. a lot of people didn't even feel the 200 euro we got the last time because the bill had been so high at that point mm. that well, you it didn't was so even... many months between the scheme oh being God, announced yeah. and it actually yeah. taking place that yeah. any benefit there would have been had it been gobbled up of... by an increase in the meantime yeah, yeah. And obviously it's welcome like you want to see that kind of proactivity without causing a spike in inflation I mean mm-hmm. putting like and that's one of the key concerns is it that isn't it that when you look at a budget like that and when uh, you know uh, energy companies in particular see that this is a promise in the budget then why not uh, start increasing their mm-hmm. costs now mm-hmm. so that they get ahead of it now obviously I think that's what the windfall tax is an, is an attempt to look at to try and manage some of the, the profits because they have done absolutely nothing better and they are making more money mm-hmm. uh, and that absolutely kills people to hear The funny thing actually just to, I think you probably hit the nail on the head there a minute ago Gabby because you talked about how it needs to feel like people have money in their pockets like you know with all the energy price bills that we've seen announced in the last or the energy increases in the last 10 days or so the, the 200 euro discount that you might get on your last bill before Christmas is basically just going to be offsetting the increase but it still yeah. means that the bills will be as dear in real terms mm-hmm. as they are the today and, yeah. and, and everyone is already struggling yeah. you know you talked about renters there's talk of a renter's tax credit which would mean that basically at the end of a year you'd be able to, to reclaim some tax paid on the basis of the, the, the amount you spent on rent in the meantime which is welcome and, and any mm. money is, is helpful but it looks like it's going to be one of those schemes where you'll have to pay the money and then claim back at the end of the mm-hmm. year. It's not more money into your pocket right now when mm-hmm. you need it. So it's, it's just going to be such a difficult balancing And your balancing rent has act. gone up and it already yeah. is too expensive anyway. So yeah. it's, yeah, so I think a lot of it is going to be, and I think that's kind of, I think that's going to be the issue for government is that really with this budget, they're just going to be really, it's not going to be, you're not going to be better off. You're just going to be maybe kind of 
where you were before all of this crisis began with the energy and you know you want to obviously make things a little bit easier for people but I think look 600 euro on three instalments it sounds like a good idea, but I know a lot of families that would have 600 euro. That would be their monthly bill for yeah. energy, you know. Mm. Uh, Vincent has been touched on Twitter and says that I'm old enough to remember an unemployment rate of 15% in 2011. Can you get older or better guests? Um, well, <laughs> we, I think our guests are, are perfectly <laughs> adequate at the very least anyway. But Gosh, as, Vincent. As, as, the, as, the, as the oldest person in the room, <laughs> wow. as, someone, as someone who was a jobbing journalist in 2011, I also remember when the unemployment rate was 15% in 2011. I certainly remember going to a lot of emigration parties when a lot of my own college uh, classmates and the likes uh, were leaving the country because they couldn't find work at that time. The difference now, Vincent, is that we have notionally full employment, that there's no difficulty in getting work in this country. The problem is being able to afford to live in this country based on what the salary is, which I think is a a new problem, but a very worrying problem and one that we haven't really faced uh, in this country before. I'm still joined in studio by Gabby Agadavitskita and Sheena Cahill, two panellists who are so young that they remember when the business post was called the Sunday Business Post. Uh, and apologies to everybody involved in that fine title for misnaming it uh, for, the, for the show thus far. Um, there is understandably given the uh, historical events uh, across the water in the last um, not only the last three days but the last six days a new Prime Minister and a new King uh, in the United Kingdom in the last couple of days so there is understandably an awful lot written in today's papers Um, Sheena I don't know where you you want to start off I mean there's so much written there that I don't even know what what opening question to to put to you so so fire it will Yeah yeah, so we've got a lovely piece actually in the Business Post uh, by Elaine Byrne Um, her, her starts with Elizabeth's reign as monarch was a study in quietly effective leadership. So what Elaine does in the piece is kind of look at obviously the very important uh, role that the 2011 um, you know visit by uh, the Queen to Ireland was particularly uh, in relation to I suppose the build up towards it the very key timing of it uh, the fact that she you know bowed her head at the Garden of Remembrance uh, the you know going to Croke Park the Mm. bit of Irish in the speech Uh, and I suppose a lot of what Elaine kind of refers to uh, without doing too much fawning kind of just talks about you know look at she kind of rose above a lot of stuff um, planned her timings with Ireland uh, very very carefully uh, but also because she didn't often have much to say when she did say something it was quite effective uh, but to be quite honest with you Gavin that's the only one I cared about reading um, because um, look at I'm just I don't know what it is like I, I feel like the papers today are at a complete mismatch to what my experience has been um, even on online but just like even personally and in conversations with friends and family in the last number of days um, because you're not seeing any criticism of the monarchy I know the woman is dead I and I know in Ireland there's we love nothing better to right people's wrongs when they pass away mm. I mean we're, we're all about it but everyone's kind of fawning and maybe it's I don't feel like it's just me that I'm just a bit like I, I I appreciate that there is a legacy there and this is an opportunity to comment on not just that legacy but the 70 years and um, the change in the world and society um, during those 70 years the um, historical uh, moments that we saw and so all of that is really important now and it's giving us a, t- a pause for reflection but like just and, I, and that's not to I really don't mean to undermine the gravity of the relationship mm. and the build the building uh, positively of the British Irish relationship uh, when Elizabeth did kind of reach out her hand shake hands uh, you know with Sinn Féin uh, mm. in Northern Ireland in effect and really 
in some ways certainly uh, you know rested a lot of very very uh, you know strong feeling on this uh, across the island and at least you know put herself uh, firmly in, at least certainly by today's papers putting herself firmly very positively uh, you know in, in, in the space of commentary but I'm not into sh- I, I'm not entirely sure I buy it um, mm. you know I think that the, the monarchy is a lot yeah. uh, to, to do, you, do you think it's people who are sort of trying to pay tribute to the person sure. and, and distinct Distinguishing that from, from the, the institution. Yeah, they're, they're, I, they're talking about the death of a woman called Elizabeth, not about the passing of the crown. Yeah, there. I mean, there is some commentary across the papers around, you know, how Michael Collins and indeed De Valera uh, would have really attempted to dehumanise um, the position of the of the Queen, um, you know, over the over their time, mm. um, and really position it as the monarchy as, or as that their institution yeah. because they needed it to be that way because to have someone that you like uh, in, uh, as a monarch makes it harder to hate. I mean, so that's and it's harder to. To, to have a political issue with them. Um, but now she's, you know, she's positioned as a cute elderly lady in all of the um, in all of the coverage. And I just don't know if we're doing enough uh, crit- critical analysis of actually what she stood for in her time as the monarch. So I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing a little bit more of that. Gabby, why are you and your print colleagues such hagiographers? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What's going wrong? Yeah. Um, I will touch, I think, obviously the death of the Queen signals that we've uh, now King. Um, Sarah Cadden Sunday Independent I actually really found her piece quite interesting she's talking about Charles and really who he is as a monarch um, she's making the points that he's a very different man to who he was when he married Diana of course all those years ago and you know how that worked out and you know she's saying she's making the point that if he, if he was to have taken over the crown back then he may have even totally collapsed the institution because of course he was deeply unpopular mm. because of his you know affair with Camilla who's now um, you know his 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 wife and, and I suppose the queen in many ways um, but in his speeches in recent days he's vowed to keep on going as long as God allows him so there's no sign of him abdicating I think what is going to happen very soon um, is that you know Prince William the Prince of Wales will become king of course um, and I think that's what the monarchy is preparing for now and I think it's an opportunity there was a lot of talk about how the Queen modernised the monarchy I, 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 really I, I, don't, I don't know, know if I see that she did yeah. I really don't know if she did I, I, I think mean, the world she modernised she got a video with Paddington though come on guys that she's was, so yeah. modern and Bond do you remember that in the Olympics I mean really that was modernization. don't remember George VI getting in a CGI video <laughs> with a bear God yeah I think I really Radical. I didn't make this point during the week. It is a bit of a mad point, but a really radical move would be to if you really if you really wanted to modernise the royals in the UK. Okay, let's have a look at some of the other royals in Europe. If, if you look at you know what they do in Holland in Spain, get rid of all your palaces and all of your land and all this incredible wealth that you have, and perhaps make moves to make reparations to all the countries that your very empire invaded over hundreds and thousands of years. Yeah, I've sort of seen this happening in Belgium at the minute because they're dealing with their own legacy in Africa and the Congo and stuff. Yeah, yeah. and like, and acknowledge all that instead of, okay, like the Queen coming over here and speaking that Biobangoelga is great, but like, that's not... Does it, it, it symbolically it means a lot but if you really want it to be radical I think that uh, Charles and Camilla should pass it over to William and Kate and totally revolutionise the monarchy and be the modern royals that you are mm. and, and being a modern royal is not going around talking about mental health and I feel really passionate about it and having a podcast it's really <laughs> making serious moves to live in the 21st century and to actually you know really actively work to repair some of the harms done by your very institution in the past uh, Do you think um, Sheena that part of you know that this what you see is something of it I don't know whether it's a deliberate effort but there's this kind of effort that like the, the crown is now just portrayed as being this this 
frail but very gentle, likable ninety-six-year-old mm. woman. That actually, it, it the, the royals now almost need to try and present themselves as likable because when Elizabeth came to the throne, we had no real mass media, so the king or the queen was always someone who was off in the distance and was kind of intangible and an unknown because you never really heard them speak. You never shook hands with them on a rope line. You never mm. had a garden party, so you didn't know what they were sort of about. And now, because the world is very different, that they actually have to be likable because if you had an unlikable person presiding over an institution which objectively has a lot of things wrong with it, that the whole thing would fall apart. Yeah, I think we saw that So they, they need to be doing yeah. podcasts and rope lines and getting out and shaking hands with people. Well, I think we saw this really uh, uh, starkly for the first time when Diana passed away and the Queen was really criticised for her, I suppose, what was seen as tardiness in coming out to, I suppose, show her grief. Mm. Um she made the point at the time that she was looking after the, you know, Harry uh, and and Will. Um, but I, 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 but they looked like they had been forced to come out in front of Buckingham Palace at the time to showcase their grief in front of the public. And that's many years ago now. And we are now in a very different age in which, you know, the management, I mean, I made a joke about Paddington and Bond at the Olympics, but the management of public perception is now very much in spaces that the royals don't own like they used to the media. I mean, Mm. the BBC uh, black banner that we saw immediately, the black uh, suits coming out of the correspondents, that kind of management uh, and protocol uh, connected to media in the UK does not extend to Twitter and to other social media sites that where public opinion is shaped. And so for you to do that, you have to have people who are willing to play the game so, I mean, for instance, sh- short snippets uh, and out of context they may be of Charles yesterday waving away uh, mm. items on his desk and yeah. um, kind of looking like he was being a little bit rude mm. to staff. Like he's, he's that's got not working going arms. To, you, you, mm. can, you can just push away the little Absolutely. box of pens yourself. You don't need and, to get somebody and else. And, look, and there's a bang of privilege off that. Um, mm. You know, we've talked about it there. Um, you know, I was thinking is I saw on, on Twitter during the week as well, like people kind of saying, look, wouldn't you be as well off if you had free government health care, free? <laughs> palaces and houses and the whole lot that the Queen had and um, look at the reality is that you do she did play the game uh, certainly towards the end by not saying anything at all um, you know she didn't ever engage in a lot of the public discourse but we do find uh, you know it, certainly recently um, across UK coverage before her death, looking at some of the lobbying that she did around tax laws, mm. uh, mm-hmm. you know, for the royals with regard to kind of the green uh, uh, tax in the UK and that the royals wouldn't be covered by it. Uh, all of that kind of stuff that so she may not have been saying things out loud, but she was making a lot of changes mm. uh, that were to the good of the royal family rather than to anyone else over w- the last number of years. Which, which is a tricky thing then to juggle, isn't it, Gabby? Mm. We'll, we'll sort of finish up on this because um, ordinarily, if in the past the new crown or the new monarch was a bit of an unknown because you didn't hear very much from them because they generally kept a fairly low profile and because there wasn't mass media. Not only now do you have Charles coming to the throne after 70 years waiting mm. for the job, like the, the longest apprenticeship in the human history, mm-hmm. like the guy's 73 and he's only mm-hmm. now getting the job he was born to do. But also because we know what he's about, we know what his characteristics are, we know what he kind of lobbies about. It, so it means that he's the le- he's the most known prospect, which kind of makes it then a very tricky thing to make sure that, you know, you're still on the right side of public opinion when there's so much in his life which hasn't been on the right yeah, side. Yeah, and it works against him, doesn't it, really? And that mm. makes him unlikable. And I think that's that's why I'm talking about this challenge for the... If, if they're really serious about being modern, you have to look at, I suppose... Look, OK, I know in fairness, like, I'm sure there's, you know, a lot of good things that he has done. And I think people, you know, are very fond of uh, King Charles in many ways and Camilla also. But... 
you just cannot separate Diana from that equation, the history that's there. And again, like, you're, you're so right, like that clip during the week of him, you know, sort of giving out to an aide and ushering them away to take that pen away. Like, mm. that's just such, It's it looks so bad and you're supposed to be the king. Like, you know, you're act like one, yeah. you know. So, look, listen, I think obviously he's not going to be king for, for very long. He's in his 70s now um, and I think the mo- the monarchy is very much so preparing for uh, William to take over and I think that will be a, a sign mm. of, of, of real and true change. Um, but I think it's what you do with the crown really that matters. Uh, which we will uh, see more about and which we'll talk more about with um, Enda Brady, correspondent in London when we're talking to him a little bit later in the show. For now, uh, thank you both for coming in this morning. Gabby Gadavitskita, uh, political reporter with independent newspapers and Sheena Cowell, communications manager with Gotchka, the President's Award. On the Record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.